Hello and welcome, delighted to be with you today. It's an honor and a privilege to get to connect with you digitally like this. We know that so much is taking place. Obviously, we've heard unprecedented over and over and over, but it really is. The time is unprecedented. We're glad, we're thankful that we're starting to reopen around our country in many ways, in many states. And so we are going to um, do the same. Some of you are saying, what does that mean for the Crossing Church? And uh, we're going to take baby steps. We're going to be safe. We're going to be smart. We're going to do it step by step, just like Governor DeSantis has described. And so the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to open small groups. You're going to get an email. You're going to get information. And we're pleased to do that. It is going to be amazing to get together again, to gather in small groups. We're going to social distance. We're going to do all that. We're going to gather in sisterhood. That's our ministry to women. We're going to gather in Ironman. That's our ministry to men. We are also going to gather in re-engage. That is our marriage ministry. And we know so many of you, this time has been very difficult on marriages. And so we're going to allow you to gather. We're going to be, we're going to be very careful. We're going to be systematic. And you can Zoom connect if you're not comfortable, or you can come to our campuses and engage in our re-engage ministry, which is the marriage ministry. If you take the step, we know that we can get you help. God is really, he is on the way. And then we're excited to announce that uh, we're going to come together for noon prayer, Wednesday, June 3rd, social distancing and so on. But yay, God, we're taking the right steps and I want you to know that our, our primary motivation is your safety. So we're, we're just going one step at a time. Safety is the issue, the primary issue. Um, I know many of you are just, woo, I mean, you want to come back. You want to you wanna be with the family of God. We want to step it in the right way and, and be safe. So join us in praying. And we're going to talk about peace under pressure today. Father, we love you. Thank you for for peace. Thank you for peace in the midst of pressurized circumstances and situations. And we pray for every person who's been affected or that has family members, relatives, friends that are affected. And and Father, we know the spectrum is, is, um, is long. Some are dealing with, literally they're dealing with people who are passing away. Father, we ask for your mercy and your grace. Some are in a situation where they don't see much And Father, we ask for willing hearts to help and hands to help and a a right perspective during this season and this time. Thank you that you give us the grace to stand in the midst of this and to declare Christ in every circumstance, in every situation. For it's in Christ we pray, amen, amen, and amen, and amen. So today I want to talk about maintaining uh, our peace, and it's so important in, in the midst of all of the pressure and And wherever you've been and whatever your season is, whatever you're experiencing, we know that everyone is incurring pressure of some kind. Um, And again, some very affected, some not that much affected. But if we can find our peace, then we can kind of unwrap the coils that the enemy wants to wrap around us and depressurize our situation. I have to admit to you, that uh, occasionally I stay up late. I'm a little bit of a a late bird sometimes. And uh, um, most of the time I've I've worked hard enough that I cannot stay up. But um, when I rotate off, I stay up late. I'm kind of geared that way. I don't know if you 
are or not. Let us know. That'd be a fun interaction. How many of you are late nighters? How many of you are early mornings? Um, and so from time to time, I get caught late at night with the commercials for cooking ware. Yes, that is true. Uh, we bought the giant pressurized cooker and um, it, it'll feed a family of, you know, 500, no, 100. It is, it's huge. It's about this big. So the way it works is, is that you seal the lid and then you close the little nozzle and the steam pressurizes an incredible force of energy and it cooks the food very quickly. And so what we want to do today is we want to just turn the knob. We just want to turn the knob because the way to depressurize that entire system is just to turn the little pressurized knob and the steam escapes. And I pray even now that as I'm speaking, it would start to happen in your life. It would start to happen in your mind. The steam escapes and uh, the situation is depressurized. It's depressurized. So what I want to talk about today is, is just a couple of principles and then after that, I want to address a principality, a spirit that the Bible calls the spirit of Python. So first, just a couple of things that we might be able to practice, um, systematize, understand a little bit, and, and, and maybe we could ease the pressure that way. Some strategic relief first, just two things in strategic relief. Number one, we want to depressurize or maintain our peace under pressure by knowing whom we're trying to please. Knowing whom we're trying to please. John 5.30 says this, and this is Jesus. He says, by myself, I can do nothing. If Jesus said that, how much more should we say that? By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and I hear from the heavenly Father. And my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So the first thing that I want to talk about inside of this little category is that you can't please everybody. You can't, you can't please everybody around you. When you begin to please one group, I, I, I promise almost, almost all the time, you please one group, you're going to start to displease another group. Uh, there's so many varied opinions and and mom or dad or cousin or aunt or uncle or spouse or children, the complexity in normal life, now the complexity in this pandemic, more than we can handle, but if we please God, if we just focus on pleasing God and we say, God, I'm gonna center myself and today, in the midst of whatever I encounter, I'm pleasing you. I'm pleasing you and I'm pleasing you alone. The good news is, is that when you please God, then you're your best self to be able to please other people. If we don't operate in pleasing God, we're gonna cave. And what I mean, what I, what I mean by that is we're gonna cave in and we're gonna cave in to criticism. We're gonna cave in to competition. We're gonna cave in to a lack of clarity and conflict. And it's really easy to fall down in these three areas if we're not focused on pleasing God and God alone. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of these things, all of these things will come into righteous order in your life. If we are misaligned, it's easy to fall down in criticism because I'm worried 
that somebody's going to talk about me. They're going to criticize me. They're going to speak ill of me. And I'm trying to please everybody. And when I do, I stretch myself so thin that I actually improve my chances of people being critical of me. When I focus like Mary did and I sit at the feet of Jesus, my focus is dialed in. You know, in the scripture, you never see Jesus spiraling. You see him centered. And when we do, hopefully our lives will be in a place where others would say, I I know one thing about that person. They love Jesus and they're focused on him and his agenda. So the first one's criticism. The second one is competition. And if we're not careful, if we're not focused on Christ and the kingdom, we can compete. The good news is, is that the kingdom is set up on a win-win principle. Uh, Much of my life, uh, early on, especially, I was focused on winning. And sometimes that was at the cost of other people. You just win and somebody else loses. Well, God's economy says that there is a win-win proportion. And if we do it the right way, you win, they win. When we seek ye first the kingdom and we say, I am going to sacrifice, then the other person says, I am going to sacrifice, just like Jesus did. And when we do, we both win. And so in your marriage, in your home, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, we can have a win-win scenario. So we don't want to cave to criticism or to competition or to conflict or to conflict. You know, when we think about somebody else being ahead of us in competition or conflict, we have to strive. We've got to run. I've got to get ahead of you. You've got to get ahead of me. This is normal in the business community. It's normal in secularism. But I pray today that we would set that aside in our following Jesus. Here's the reason why. Whatever God has given you, Whatever space, whatever grace, whatever talent, whatever ability, whatever finance, whatever God has given you, he has given you and no one can take it from you. Whatever God has not given you is up for grabs and anyone can take it from you. So we take peace today and say to the Lord, Lord, what you've given me is mine. I'm not going to strive. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to press. I'm not going to try to compete. I'm not going to be in conflict. Uh, I'm going to settle myself on one thing, and that is in pleasing you alone. So pleasing God is the place where we can release the pressure from blaming other people. Lots of times I want to blame my shortcomings on somebody else, and and I say, uh, you made me. Or I have to. And actually, there are a few things apart from our job, our work, that we have to do. So when we say, you made me or I have to, it really is rephrasing, I choose to because I don't want to pay the consequences. And so I pray today that, um, that we would together, that we would say, I'll pay the price. I, I will pay the price. And when I pay the price, the, uh, the knob is turned. And the release occurs, and I can see my life depressurizing in the Lord Jesus because I've made him my priority. Soren Kierkegaard was a 19th century theologian, and he said this, Live your life for an audience of one. Uh, uh, Today I'm teaching, and, and usually I'm teaching in front of thousands of people, and we can get wrapped up in the applause or, or uh, 
somebody saying, you know, that was a great job, or, or we could get involved in the opposite of that, and, and, and the criticism, the, the difficulty in living your life on the outside. Soren Kierkegaard said this, live your life for an audience of one. And if you live your life for an audience of one, then everything in your life will synthesize. There will be a symphony in your life instead of a, a mosh pit. And so we uh, agree today that the first principle in understanding to, uh, to depressurize, to get peace back into our lives, that we would live as an audience of one for Jesus, who is the Christ. We would see him, know him, we would understand him, and we would know, first of all, whom we're trying to please. Secondly, we would know what we're trying to achieve, what we're trying to achieve. And this seems so simplistic, but man, it can really get convoluted and difficult. Here's the clue from Christ, John 8, 14. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. This is Jesus who is speaking. He testifies upon himself, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. His testimony rests on the character of God. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. John 8, 14. The principle is this. Uh, you want to know what you're trying to accomplish. You're going to know what you're trying to achieve. First, whom you're trying to please, and then what you're trying to achieve. We want to plan our lives and set our priority. And that sounds so elemental, you know, plan my life and set my priorities. And really the truth is every single day of our lives, especially during the pandemic, especially now when it's kind of random and we've got space, but not space. And some people that you talk to, they're working double, triple, quadruple time. Others are saying, I have more time than I've ever had. I'm reading novels. I'm learning languages. I, 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 and, and so here's the truth. We either live by priority or we live by pressure every single day. Every single day. We, we, we live by our priorities or we live by pressure. And, and the good news is we get to choose what's important in our lives. You know, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, we want to say this, or maybe even at the beginning of, uh, of the day, have I really accomplished anything today? Or am I going to accomplish anything noteworthy uh, that is prioritized by my life in the Lord today? I used a lot of energy. I did a lot of things, but did I achieve what God wanted me to achieve today? Preparation causes you to have ease or peace. Procrastination increases our stress. It increases our stress. So if I could get up and I could write down my priorities, and we, this is, again is so simple, but it really is very meaningful. If I could pray and spend a minute with God and I could say to God, God, what do you want me to achieve today? And I know you have a list and I have a list. And, and if we could begin to write down that list the other day on my list, I think I had 25 items. And I, and I said to God, God, there's just no way that I'm going to get all these things done. And one of the realities is you probably won't get them all done. The point, though, is that you prioritize and you can get done more than you think you can get done because you're shooting at an actual target. That day, I think I had three that I didn't get done. It was a good day. God did a lot of wonderful, wonderful things. There were a lot of kingdom connections. Um, I was talking to my daughter. She's 20. She is uh, in our Crossing Bible College, and um, she's processing work 
and college, and she was having conversation with Tamara and I, and she said, I'm laying out my coursework. She said, I'm, I'm measuring the parts that I have, and, I'm, and then I'm, I'm calculating. She didn't say this word. I'm, I'm adding this. She said, I'm calculating what it's going to take to do this piece in this time. And uh, my wife and I kind of stood back a little bit, and I said, <laughs> I said, baby, I said, that is a skill. That is a God-honoring skill because the Bible says that I would measure my foundation. I would understand the foundation before I go to build so that I can prioritize my life. Because if we don't prioritize our life, I promise you, people will prioritize for you what they think is important. And instead of doing what you know to be is important in the Lord, starting with our time with him, instead of doing those things, we end up being scattered and frazzled and broken and uh, running from place to place trying to please everybody in our lives. We just want to please one person, that's Jesus. And so as we understand these couple of simple principles, I want you to know that there's also, we're not just dealing with, with principles, with strategies, we're dealing with a spirit. And as I've been praying over these weeks, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to practice myself and, and understanding and, and, and praying, and, and, uh, and the Lord started to speak to me, and he kept saying to me, it's a spirit. And I said, yes, Lord, I, I, I know, I, I believe you, it's a spirit. He said, and then finally the revelation came to me, it's the spirit of Python, the spirit of Python. The spirit of Python is named in the Bible. It's one of the only spirits that's named in the New Testament and it's in Acts 16, 16. Paul and Silas are going to the temple to pray, and they encounter a girl who is possessed. And it says that she practiced divination. Here's the scripture. I'll read it to you. Now, what happened as we went to pray, this is Paul and, and, and Silas, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling, by fortune telling. The story goes on, and I'll summarize very quickly, that because they lost their money, uh, Paul and Silas dealt with her for a little while, and then they turned towards the girl who was filled with the spirit of divination. It's actually translated python. The word divination comes from puthon. The word puthon translated into English, it means python. So a girl possessed with the spirit of Python, Python, uh, encountered them. Eventually, they just said to this young lady, come out of her. And when they did, the two men, or maybe it was more than two, that her masters who were profiting off of her fortune telling, and we know this to be true, some fortune telling, most of it is uh, a charlatan. Most of it's not true. There are some, however, that are actually by the spirit of divination and they were profiting greatly because they were fortune telling and many people were coming. And when that occurred, uh, she lost her ability. She lost. The spirit of Python was broken off of her and her masters were upset because they lost their financial gain. When they did, they stirred up the magistrates and the people in the city. They locked Paul and Silas into the inner portion of the cell and the prison. And so today I want to address, just as we close, the spirit of Python, some practical things. And now the principality, some, some things that are strategic first, and then, and then a spirit. And when we understand the spirit, so what I want to do just for a moment is I want, to, I want us to understand, and I know many of you just love snakes. I don't, I don't know, we're terrified of snakes, right? Terrified. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this much. 
My dad, my dad taught me that snakes, snakes are all right if you know what they are and how they operate. You can, in other words, let me frame it this way. You can deal with any snake if you know its character, what kind it is, and how to handle it, how to handle it. This is a little snippet of what a python in the natural world does to seize its prey and to wrap its coils around it. And then we'll try to draw some conclusions, some spiritual conclusions to close about the spirit of python. Snake, which is this, the reticulated python occurs at 30 feet, and they've been known to eat people. Now, it's obviously a myth that snakes hunt and eat people, but these guys actually have the size and the ability to kill and eat a person. One this big isn't really going to kill you, but it can obviously cause a lot of danger. And where you guys were is probably the capital in the world for dangerous snakes. Wait, so, so 30 feet, right? Yeah. So what eats a 30-foot snake? Nothing. Human. So that's the apex predator? That's, once it gets past about 20 feet, then it's a dinosaur. Then it's basically doing whatever it wants. And how do these things kill? They're not venomous, so how, how, do, they, how do they kill? So this one's obviously a captive snake, very mellow in comparison. In the wild, this would be a lot more aggressive. Inside this mouth, they have two to 400 recurved teeth, like tiny little fish hooks. When they bite, what they'll do is sit in the water, like where you guys were in the river, sit with their entire body under the water and just the top of their nose sticking out, something will come down to eat, strike out, get those teeth into it, and then throw these coils, and you can feel how it's wrapping around your leg, yeah. very powerful, <laughs> and constrict the animal to death. And if that's a human, they put so much pressure on your diaphragm and your chest, it essentially stops your heart. It's got nothing to do with breathing. Um, the problem with this is if one of these snakes gets you on the leg or something and you grab it around the head, the first defense it's going to have is to put coils around you and they'll often grab your hands and you can't move. And then it's got the rest of its body it to go... Oh, yeah. Sorry, I did that. So, oh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can see it's, it's also it's smelling the entire environment. It's smelling the world and seeing what's going on. It's got heat-sensing pits as well. It's actually quite vocal if you listen. It's I hissing. could hear it yeah. hissing earlier. It's hissing a little bit, saying, you know, I'm, I'm just not exactly happy right now if you carry on pushing your life. Did you... We want to know whom we're trying to please, and we want to know what we're trying to achieve, and we also want to deal now with a spirit, and a spirit of python similar to the actual animal in the world. This animal that has recurved teeth wants to seize its prey and then wrap its coils around it and then squeeze it or suffocate it to death. That is a, that's graphic imagery, I know, but for many of us, I, I've been asking God, what, what, what is the deal? What's the deal in the background? What's running in the background of all of the, the difficulty and the trial and the fear? And it is the spirit of Python. He wants to seize you. He wants to distract you like a serpent. And we know that Satan is a serpent. He was called a serpent in Genesis. He was called the great serpent in Revelation. We know that the serpent wants, to, wants us to leave him alone. Uh, Luke 4:34. Jesus comes into the temple, and there's a man who is, who has a, a, a demonic possession. He is he's filled demonically, and when he sees Jesus, you know, you could a demon can exist in religion anywhere, but when the anointing of God comes, when the power of God comes, when Jesus came in person, the Spirit cried out through the man's lungs, "Leave us alone! Uh, you're the Son of the Living God." Declares who He is. Leave us alone. Have you come to torment us before our time? Satan wants to lay dormant. He wants to lay hidden like a serpent and we're distracted and he's laying in the spiritual shadow waiting to seize us. And when he seizes us, he throws coils around us and then he begins to just systematize his squeezing process. He squeezes a little tighter, the air presses out, the ruah of God 
the breath of God. He wants us to lose our prayer life. He wants to squeeze out of us our possessions and our understanding of God's promise to us. He wants to squeeze our passion out of us. That comes right out of the scripture in 16, 16, Acts 16, 16. So when we talk about the the Python spirit, his uh, goal is to remove the breath of God. God said that he created man and then he breathed into his nostrils to make him a living being. God God breathed into man his life. And and so in this season, I I wanna pray now together through these three, this, these three topics, and then we wanna deal, let's deal with the spirit of Python. It's not just dealing practicality, let's deal with the principality. He wants to remove your prayer life. He wants us to be idle or prayerless. And the worst thing about prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels. God said, when we pray, he deploys angels. Daniel prayed. And it was a moment where the nation and the world, and I would say our history was on the line. Daniel was a man of prayer. And when he prayed, angels came. Jesus was a man of prayer. Remember, he was tested and tempted. He prayed and angels came. Jacob prayed and angels came. That's where we have Jacob's ladder, the intercession between heaven and earth. And so I would pray with you right now that you would just, as you're watching, you would begin to pray. Pray again. Do not let the spirit of Python seize you and control you and constrict you and remove the breath of God from your nostrils. Father, we pray and thank you in Jesus' name. I'm not going into formal prayer. I just want you to pray with me as you're watching. Begin to pray and ask God for his angels to come to your aid. Begin to pray now and ask God to come to your family. Begin to pray now and ask God to come to your circumstance and your situation while you're teaching your children's school, what the conflict you're having in your marriage. Begin to pray even now as I'm, as I'm teaching and we believe that the spirit of Python will be broken. We, got, we can't start with the head. We got to start with the tail. We've got to begin to uncoil this thing that has wrapped itself around us. He also wants to take your provision. He wants to wrap himself around your mind. And I I can deal with a lot of pressure, a lot of external pressure, but I don't know about you. It's the internal pressure. It is the internal. It's the mind games. It's um, It's the trial and the challenge. That becomes way more difficult than dealing with external pressure to me. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to hem us in. He wants to squeeze the life of you. He wants to say that all you have is all you own. That's not true. What you own is citizenship in heaven. What you own is a father who has a a cattle on a thousand hills. And as we look at our provision and as we look at the trial and the circumstance that we're in, we want to remember today, God is for you. He is not against you. He has riches in heaven. Many of you are going through trials now uh, and dealing with your finance. When finance was affected in the scripture, everybody lost their dignity. They lost their dignity. I'm praying right now that you would join me in regaining your dignity and your composure, that you would turn the knob, you would release the pressure, that we would speak to the spirit of Python to release you now, that you would remember that you are the head and not the tail that you would remember that your father loves you, that he would stir up the gifts that are inside of you, that the gifts of God would begin to manifest himself. And in this time, instead of falling down and believing the worst and repeating the worst and agreeing that you're gonna fail and agreeing that you're not gonna come out of this, that you would agree with God, 
that you would say to God, God, I, I have gifts and talents and abilities, and you are stirring up in me those gifts that you would be creative in a way you've never been creative before, that you would, you would find new ingenuity, that you would find new glory in what God's called you to do. We rebuke this spirit of Python that would try to steal your life and your dignity and your destiny. And then lastly, he's trying to steal from you your passion. This was the first missionary journey, the first one that they went on. And and Paul and Silas were striking out to change the world, to literally carry the gospel around the world. And what this spirit wants to do is he wants to minimize and hem in and to squeeze and to press out of you the life of God. And so we want to begin to pray now, again, even as I'm teaching, that God would give you divine vision, that God would give you divine provision, that God would revive you right now. Some of you, I just see, as I prayed, I saw some of you um, falling into old patterns, just believing again that somehow your coping mechanism, and I, and I know, so here's one of the signs, if, you, if, you're, if you're looking, even for a season, if you've got more in common with your old friends who are not saved, they don't believe in Jesus, than you do with believers and you're disconnecting, uh, that's a sign, that's a warning sign that he's got his coils around you. And we're praying and we're asking God that those coils would be unwrapped and that you would see again, that you would come to the body of Christ connect digitally that you, hey, we can start to connect in person, that we would have the favor and grace of God to um, not be listless and not be uh, slow-minded, to, to not uh, switch onto autopilot and just watch rote television over and over and over. I pray for you that the spirit of God would come upon you now and that you would get your Bible again. I pray that you would pray again. I pray that you would call on God again, that your passion would come back to you, that your your joy would come back to you. I pray that your relationships would be mended. I pray that your children would see you in the authority of Christ, that he would see the passion that you have once again in Jesus. We rebuke the spirit of Python. We rebuke him. Jesus spoke in Isaiah chapter 61, and he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. We're praying for you. We know that some of you are in circumstances. You, you feel like you're completely alone. I want to tell you, you're not alone. You're not alone. Jesus is with you. God is for you. You are not alone. You are not alone. We're going to experience trouble in this word. That word is flipsis. It's a Greek word, flipsis, and it, it actually means that we're going to have trouble, trial, oppressing, a squeezing. It's different than Python, but what God says in that verse is he said he would be in proximate, he would approximate himself to you. He would be in proximity to you. I want you to know that Jesus is with you in your circumstance. He's with you in your circumstance to proclaim I just want to proclaim, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn in Zion, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise 
instead of the spirit of despair or heaviness, that they may be called, you may be called the oaks or the trees of righteousness. You see, what, what the enemy doesn't count on is the fact that when, when that uh, olive is pressed, there's olive oil that comes from it. And what the enemy doesn't count on is when the tree withstands the storm, its roots deep into a place that it grows into an oak of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Lastly, I, I want to I bind this spirit. I want to finish by just binding and, and, and loosing and, and we just make a pronouncement now. I'm not going to yell. I believe that the authority of God is present for you to be free now. We want to do our practical things and we want to address this principality. I bind the spirit of Python right now. I bind the spirit of divination. I bind the spirit of witchcraft. And I, and I, and I speak to you. I bind you now in the name of Jesus. Loose every mind. Loose every heart. Loose every body. We call back into human beings. We call back into men and women right now in their living room, in their home. If you're driving, if you're viewing, we call back the Ruah of God into your life. May, you, may the life of God live in you again. We call back the breath of God to you. We call back your prayer life. We call back your possessions. We call back your passion in the name of Jesus. Be bound be bound, be bound, be bound, Spirit of Python. Be loosed, be loosed, be loosed, Spirit of God. I pray that you would, you would have freedom. I pray that in your living room, you might have something come up inside of you and you could shout a hallelujah that you would begin to praise again. Paul and Silas, they were magnificently released because of their praise. They began to praise in the midst of their pain and their shackles were released. I pray now for you. I pray for your family. I pray for your home. I'm, I'm praying for your job. We're, we're praying for you and believing the best for you that you would praise your way through this pain and that today, today you would preserve your peace in the midst of pressure. And now I, I wanna end in, I want to just give you an invitation. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, Jesus is the answer. You know, we can have a lot of strategic, formulaic, step-by-step, you do this, you get this, but nothing is like the power of God, nothing. Nothing will free you, nothing will elevate you, nothing will give you the ability to see and act and live and love to become the person you want to be than Jesus who is Lord. And there's a simple admonition in prayer that we would say to him, Jesus, if you would just join me wherever you are, you say to him, Jesus, I surrender. And I'm asking you now to become the Lord of my life. I surrender my sin. I surrender my poor choices. And right here, right now, I ask you to be Lord of my life. Come into me, change me from the inside out. And I, and I, I don't understand it all. But I believe from this moment on, I'll be changed for the rest of my life. And I ask it in Jesus' name. I ask in Jesus' name. That's how we end, in Jesus' name. So listen, friends, if, if you did that, we want you to text Jesus, just one word. And, and, and so we want to help you. 
We want to know who you are. We want to help you. We want to help you. We want to get you Bible studies. We want to help you get connected to the life of the church or a church, wherever you are. You're watching around the world. A good church is a foundation for your life. It's family. And so you text the word Jesus to the number on your screen, and we look forward. We look forward to First Wednesday, what God is going to do. I'm going to be joining you for First Wednesday Again, digitally, we look forward to God opening things up, you know, part by part, step by step. We look forward to your home having glory and being refreshed again. And we look forward to a release from this pressure to find our peace again in Jesus' name. Amen.